This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. Hello and welcome back, everybody. Today, I am excited to announce a completely new thread to this podcast. I've teamed up with Climate Farmers, the company that I've been working with for over a year now, that is working to scale regenerative agriculture in Europe by assisting farmers in their transition towards regenerative management of their land and their businesses. At the beginning of this year, our whole team invested a lot of time in reaching out to the people in our network all around Europe in order to learn about what their goals are, what they're struggling with, and how we can co-create solutions together. Now, one of the primary things that we found is that many of us are searching for specific connections in order to have dedicated support as challenges inevitably come up. As a result, we've begun building a consulting matching service for farmers who are looking for knowledgeable and experienced consultants, coaches, or experts. And luckily, we have a growing list of people around the continent who fit that description and are available to offer assistance. Now, since we also know that it can be tough to choose between so many experts, we offer help in this area by selecting from the criteria and the experience that's important to you and is relevant to your context. In order to showcase the astounding knowledge and expertise of some of the people in our network, I'm starting off this first episode of this new thread on climate farming to highlight some of the best regenerative agriculture consultants from around the world in order to get a better understanding of the process of transitioning a farm to regenerative management. In the coming months, we'll explore the steps that our experts advise to guide growers through the essential journey of mindset change, observation, learning, experimentation, monitoring, and the evolution of ideas in order for farmers to transform their relationship with the land. Now along the way, if you or anyone else that you know would like to reach out directly to the people that we interview or are looking to be connected with a regenerative agriculture expert in your area, you can get in touch with us directly by clicking the link that I've put on the show notes for this episode on the Regenerative Skills website. The same goes for you if you're a regenerative agriculture coach or consultant who would like to be featured on our roster of experts. You can find that easily at regenerativeskills.com or through our link tree on Instagram. Now with all of that said, I wanted to get this series started off with a deep dive about what it means to be an effective assistant to farmers and land managers in transition. Whether you call yourself an educator, a consultant, a coach, a mentor, or something else entirely, everyone has a different approach and has a different process. And that's why I reached out to Nicole Masters, who's now launching a program to train highly effective coaches and consultants called CREATE. Nicole is an agroecologist, educator, and systems thinker with nearly 20 years of extensive practical and theoretical experience in regenerative land practices. She's been communicating these methods throughout Australasia since 2003 and North America since 2013, helping to inspire and guide producers into new and innovative ways to produce food. Nicole has a deep commitment to finding win-win solutions for both the well-being of landscapes and land managers. As a seasoned soils coach, she has a proven record in supporting producers in meeting their goals. With over 1.2 million acres under her programs, Nicole excels at identifying and solving challenges through proactive management. Her passion for fostering the growth of these farming practices calls upon diverse skills in facilitation, conflict resolution, and an understanding of behavioral change and science communication. With soil as a major driver of ecosystem health, Nicole has worked closely with diverse production sectors from dairy, sheep and beef, 
viticulture, compost, nurseries, market gardens, racing studs, lifestyle blocks to large-scale cropping. Working with such diverse clients has fostered a broad knowledge and understanding of the challenges facing different production systems. Nicole has devised and delivered education programs for a wide range of organizations, consultants, businesses, land care, and even extension services. Now, in this kickoff on the Climate Farming series, Nicole and I explore some of the most important skills and knowledge to be an effective coach or consultant. We talk about the experiences that are useful to inform your work, as well as some of the softer skills that are often overlooked, but which can make all the difference when building relationships of trust with clients. We even look at the equation from the land manager's perspective and consider some of the criteria that you may want to look for when choosing a professional to work with and some of the warning signs that they might not be working from a mindset of regeneration. This interview covers a lot of ground and a lot of different considerations, including the management of a consulting service as a business and the essential data to collect when evaluating a piece of land, as well as much more. Nicole is really one of the leaders in this emerging field, and her stories and experiences are really immense. So you may want to get a notebook for this one. And so now I'll hand things over to Nicole Masters. Well, so let's start from the very beginning, Nicole. First of all, it's great to have you here. Where are you calling in from this time? Are you out on the range at the moment? I am out on the range. It's uh, minus 17 Celsius right now, I believe. that That's what the temperature is. I think the real feel is more like minus 25 uh, in Montana. Yeah, yeah big timber Montana. Oh, yeah, it's something. I remember from growing up in Minnesota, but I think my blood has thinned out from being in the Mediterranean. And before this, I lived in the tropics. So I'm just, I'm not as hard as I used to be. <laughs> no, it's all relative, isn't it? It's all it our is. context, indeed. <laughs> so you're still going around and helping individual land managers and farmers to transition their land, rebuild their soil, and uh, strengthen the health of their ecological community and businesses. I mean, it's, it's a broad job description there's a lot that you do and I know that you're also starting to help people to get into this line of work because we need more capacitated and experienced individuals helping others in their transition and so mm -hmm. I guess the first place I'd like to start is what would you consider the the description of someone who is either a consultant or a coach helping someone in this transition process what are the essential things that you think they should be able to do I'll just add a little proviso first, which is that the consulting and coaching that I've been doing one-on-one -on -one during COVID, I put that on the side just because it was so much of my work involves travel and it all just suddenly got really hard. And out of that was born the coaches school. So I've stepped away from really that one-on-one -on -one work to look at how do we build capacity so that we can create more of what I'm doing because it's been incredibly successful. Um, and when we looked to hire people in regions, we found that people really didn't have the level of expertise that we require to be part of our coaching team. And so the depth that I'm looking for is people that can read landscapes, can connect from soil microbiology to soil minerals, to animal health, to plant health, to human health. Like it's a, it's a big ask um, looking at how water's moving through a system to be able to um, come onto a property and really see all the different dynamics. And then the biggest part of that is the, the working with human element. And often people that are really good with animals aren't so great with people. And we just felt like there were these, these gaps that needed to be expanded outwards in order to be what we see as incredibly successful coaching, which is 
being able to work with people, listen to people, not come in as an expert and think that you have all the answers because every context and every individual is different and you're working at a very individual level. Yeah, and the level of training to do that, as I've started to realize as we're expanding this program, is it's a big ask. It is, and I can imagine why that's difficult to find people who are up to the level that you would like to incorporate into your team because it involves wearing so many hats, not all of which are conducive to the skill set of anybody who excels in any given one of them. Where do you find some of the biggest gaps in, in competencies that you really look for to set people apart and join your team? People that have really done their own self-development work. Because I find if you have not transformed your own trauma, you bring that into every conversation with everybody. And so it's being able to see your own patterns actually helps you to work with other people's patterns. And, and that's some of the biggest work and it's some of the hardest stuff. And it's a, it's a lifetime process. You know, you never kind of go, oh, yeah, I've done personal development, tick that box. You know, it's an everyday all day working process and I, I think for the students of our current program that's been their biggest breakthroughs and transformations is realizing all these layers of work to be done to transform so that we can be a space that really invites curiosity and adaptiveness and resilience instead of being a space of um, disempowering potential clients because if you think I know if you engage with all of the different dynamics that someone's working with um, then they're not going to be successful you know and one of the things one of the classes that we teach is what we call the ecology of money so looking at what is your current story around money and then how does that shape your success how does that shape um, your decisions around finances your ancestral stories around money how does that shape you today because there's a lot of stories maybe around struggle around I've met people that feel shame around money or people that think money is greed no money doesn't mean any of that you know it's a, it's a transaction for here's something that I'm offering you in this case it's an opportunity um, and here's a financial transaction and we just make it mean all this other stuff that it doesn't mean well if we can transform that conversation for ourselves we can start to see where that shows up with people that we're working with because if you're working with someone that thinks that money is struggle and greed, they're never going to be the success that they want to be in terms of the financial side of things. And that can be huge in agriculture. Yeah, and it looks to me that that is the piece that is really hard to teach. Whether you have the communications or personability uh, skills in order to walk someone through what is essentially a very personal transition the landscape is almost the more binary and more easy to control aspect of this but if you don't get the mindset the rest is going to be very much an uphill battle and that can be very different based on someone's like you said past trauma their personal history their connotations with different aspects of their job uh, with money all of these things where do you start that process and begin to connect with someone so that these types of sort of emerging personal traits can come out and be worked on? Mm -hmm. Well, you start by doing the work yourself and then it just becomes like, if we can be truly authentic, if we can be truly vulnerable and open and create different types of dynamics and patterns when we're working with people, then what, what the traditional extension consultant expert teacher dynamic was like it's a totally 
different way of exploring things. And once you create that space in yourself, then it invites more inquiry and more dialogue because people don't feel one that you're making them wrong or that you're judging them or that um yeah that that somehow yeah you've come in and you're going to wave this magic wand because it all comes down to what's that person's ability to 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 alter some things that are happening on that property or alter some things that are happening for themselves and that happens through conversation and it happens through questions. Like we don't, we don't sit there and go, well, I can see that uh, you have this issue with money and you really need to deal with, um, you know, your childhood trauma. That's not how those conversations go at all. It's very much like, that's really interesting. And where do you think that came from? Or when did that conversation first start to happen? Or what is your experience with money? And and money has become this conversation that people are really uncomfortable even talking about, but it's a big limitation, right? The amount of debt that's happening in agriculture is just phenomenal. And so I'll often share my own personal story of, you know, I spent 18 months working on this conversation of what, why was it that I could never get out of debt? Why was it that no matter what, I was always struggling, um, just, you know, always had credit card debt, couldn't, really achieve what I wanted to achieve and it wasn't until I started pulling these layers back that I realized um one I did think that money was was struggle and then I had to work really really hard in order to achieve financial freedom which is my goal like I don't want to be a multi-billionaire and go to Mars that's not my goal at all um but what I saw out of all of it was that I was actually waiting for somebody to bail me out like I, I've had that experience in my in my teens and early 20s of getting in trouble and my dad would save me and so part of me was like okay um I, I need this to happen I'll just wait for someone to bail me out and it wasn't until I realized that I had that conversation going on I was like oh I'm not waiting for anybody I'm gonna do this myself so like the create program cost $290,000 to develop I didn't get any sponsorship I didn't go and get any grants I did that whole thing myself through building it and just going through a process of transforming my own financial conversation to creating something that's been incredibly successful. Wow, that's an amazing story. And like the example you just gave, this is starts with doing that personal work and only through reference of having worked through it yourself, can you start to help someone else in their process? And okay, so let's talk about some can of I, the frameworks or the questions. No, please go ahead, jump in. Oh, I, I just... Um, part of it happens through our language too so it's looking at what are the words that I'm choosing to use what am I not using and a word like help engenders that someone is helpless mm. and if I come into a space that I'm helping somebody it's like oh you there's something we need to fix there's something that's not working you know so good for you and I'm, I'm here to help but that's not the role that we play at all the the role is how do I empower you? How do I work alongside and learn with you while we go through this process together? Um, so it's a it's it's a it's a totally different dynamic just by shifting that one word, and so that's a big part of the work as well. And and we screw up, you know. And, and I'm a New Zealander. We say very tactless things, and that's part of it too. So not being too worried about oh, I said this word, but just starting to look at where am I coming from? What is my context and my language? Yeah, I really like that you brought up the wording about this. And from our last conversation, I actually stopped calling things watersheds and have been adopting the term <laughs> water catchment. And I, I think I'm going to try and work the term help in these contexts out of my vocabulary as well. I really like the way that you clarified that. 
And wording is really important. I'm constantly coming up and crashing up against it as I navigate different languages here in the European context. Um, the way that you explain things and the way that you commute the, communicate them is, is essential. And so, okay, so moving away from this idea of help, because it, like you said, it comes with the presumption that someone does not have the ability to help themselves. This is much more of a coaching or an assistance role and helping someone find the tools that they may already have but maybe needed to be rephrased or someone needed to help them to audit their process. It sounds like you're doing through, through uh, special questioning. Perhaps do you have some frameworks that you work through? For example, I have been learning a lot about holistic management lately and there are frameworks there that help you to audit your thinking process and systematically go through the things that you need to consider in order to better make decisions. Is that something that you work with as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um... And it again, it's on a very individual basis, and it's and so i'm I'm always looking for where is that door that I can just chink open a little bit around connecting with landscapes, connecting with soil health or resilience, especially when we're working with um, very conventional producers, you know, and they're just looking for a practice change. Um, and it can be a little bit of a shock when you start working with a coach in terms of this is much more than a practice change and not wanting to overwhelm people, uh, give them too, like there's so many options. There's no one way that you will do any of this land management. So looking for what is their current capacity? What kind of equipment have they got? Um, what are the resources on a property? And working with them on what we call the bright spots. What's what's already working really well? What do you, what do you already excel in? And it, it might be that animal husbandry. It might be, being really great with equipment um, and just kind of working with where people's where they feel more comfortable and they can flourish and we're working within those frameworks um, and then we have what I call the five m's that we which is our mindset our management our minerals microbes and organic matter om just kind of cheating but um, and so using that framework that we lay over what is not working as well as it could in this landscape and which of those is the issue? What is it that's putting a drag on your particular system? And we'll, we'll run through that using another framework, which is the triage. So the triage is where's our decision-making process start? If there's a critical point, what's that critical point? So the first place is how well are you capturing sunlight energy? And that might be disrupted. If we look at the five M's, that might be because of your management. All right, so you haven't been managing for a solar panel to be capturing sunlight energy. Um, it might be a mineral deficiency. All right, we haven't got adequate boron, so sugars aren't moving through the plant in terms of photosynthesis. So we start with sunlight, then we go to air, then we go to water, then we go to decomposition, um, and then we go to minerals. So there's a whole process that we look through that 5Ms through in terms of where's the critical point for someone to be looking at, um, and then bringing that back into what someone's dealing with every single day. You know, most people are dealing with weeds and pests and diseases and, and, and increasing concerns, obviously, around resilience, um, either having too much water or not enough water. So having these conversations through that, and that's where we work through that personal capacity. So I wouldn't sit down with someone in their very first conversation and go, um, tell me about your relationship with money. Like, it takes trust and rapport and a relationship, like, you build that ability to expand. And, and there's things that I think as a soundboard or as a coach, people see for themselves. And, it, and 
yeah, that just comes up through conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And where do you see that often those bottlenecks are happening? Are there indicators that are some of the first things that you look for that are where things are starting to, to congeal and, and stop moving? Or is it really different everywhere that you go? Um, wish I could say it was really different, but no. It's <laughs> we seem to see some very similar patterns around mismanagement. Um, and that comes down to the basis of soil structure. So seeing soil structure that's falling apart, crusting, compacting. And so that all disrupts photosynthesis, that all disrupts air movement. So I think I missed out air. So air is your number one. How well is that soil aggregated? Is air able to move through? And if not, water is not able to move through either. Um, and so what we see is if you've been using a lot of aggregate agrochemicals, then that's going to disrupt soil structure. Have you been using tillage? That will do it. Um, have you been removing every blade of green grass? Well, all of that's going to screw up that soil's ability to breathe. So I find one of the most powerful tools we can use is one of the oldest tools, which is just digging a hole with somebody and looking at, do you think a soil like this can breathe? Do you think water can move into this? We'll do an infiltration test as well. But looking in the field and then looking somewhere that um, hasn't been disturbed, making sure we're on the same soil type, but measuring something, say, underneath a, a fence line, and that could be the door chinking open that I was talking about, that aha of, like, was this me? Uh, yes, this was you. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I find those visual tools, particularly, obviously, for producers, you know, very visual people, that, that, can, that can make a huge difference. Now, all the things that you just mentioned of just going in and digging a hole and doing some tactile testing, they all seem very simple, but you have an academic background in soil science and years and years of experience going out and seeing this in so many different places. Is this something that takes a really long time to learn and develop, or is this something that you've seen people be able to pick up really quickly, even without all that experience and academic background? It's kind of fun. They did a study in California asking people to smell soil. And they had people in the cities, they had people with no um, agricultural experience or gardening experience. Um, and they lined up the soils from really nasty, bad, bad soil to beautiful aggregated soil. And everybody could tell the difference between bad, good and ugly. Like people are able to distinguish that just with our nose, even if you've never been out in agriculture, which I love that. Um, but one thing that we've developed is called the Regen Platform. And we did that with um, Soil Mentor in the UK with, um, with Abby Rose. And oh, I just, I love the program. And what we did when I came to her originally, we had a consultant level um, app that we were using just for our team that had like probably a hundred different metrics. And we were like, can we put this into an app and we'll make it available to farmers? And the farmers were like, whoa, that's just so overwhelming and unusable. And I'm like, oh, come on, it's brilliant. Don't you want to know all this? But <laughs> actually not. So we distilled it down to what we would say, these are the 10 regen indicators. If we had to choose just 10, and often they all interrelate and correlate with each other anyway. But not only do we give people the, the measures, we also described how to do it. We describe what it means. And then we get into what could be the factors that are causing this and then what could be the possible actions you could take. So there's no other app like that available 
in the world right now. We're really excited about it. And the idea really was to make this much more accessible so that, you know, within half an hour, you could feel like you, you've got competence, competency around reading your own soil. So that's, that's really cool. So go and check that out. For sure. I'll be sure to leave the link for that in the show notes for this episode so everyone can, can link to it directly. Ooh. What are some of the other key skills and observational experience or knowledge that is really essential to being effective in this career? My original background is in ecology. Well, my formal background is ecology. Um, and I also did organizational learning. And organizational learning is business skills seen through the veil of ecological thinking, you know, feedback loops and unintended consequences. And I think that has probably held me in the best stead in terms of considering what are the potential interrelationships and then what might be an unintended consequence of taking this action. And I really believe if governments were looking through that veil, if the universities were looking through that and researchers were, we'd have some very different outcomes than what we currently have. Yeah, thinking there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, your program on training consultants and coaches is not an open application. You have application criteria, which are quite rigorous. What are some of the main things that you're looking for for people to come in and apply with you in order to take that next step? And I guess the flip side would also be what are the deal breakers or the red flags of people who you don't think are going to do well? Yeah, the red flags that kind of come to mind immediately are people that are that they allow their ego to walk through the door first. We talk about that. You know, we've turned down some really, really deserving agronomists who have all the technical and the experience that's required, but they're not coachable and they are very much in that expert, it's almost like a colonizing control mindset. And, and that's the piece that um, is the hardest to shift. In, in some people. And also, you know, if those people were to get into the course, they can be some of your best advocates if they shift that mindset. Uh, but that's a lot of work. So the, the, the one thing we want to see experience, you know, this is not the course to come to to learn about microbiology. This is not the course to learn about compost or grazing management um, and, and all the nutrients. We cover all of that. We bring it all together, but it's more in, a, in the context of this is for revision and this is for how do we teach this to others or how do we break some of these very complex ideas down like you know quorum sensing and microbial metabolites how do we describe that in a way that's accessible for for people um and so yeah good communication skills a mindset that is a regenerative mindset which is being curious being open to being coached yourself um, you know, if you're not coachable, you're not going to make a very good coach at all. You're just going to be really dominating and obnoxious. <laughs> um, but obviously, you know, a background in regenerative agriculture or, or organic production or, you know, it, we want at least three years of that so that it's not just people coming from an academic space as well. So even if people have, you know, maybe they've gone through academia, they're already consulting and maybe their own experiences you know, they've, maybe they've got a little lifestyle block or a garden, but just as long as their hands are in the ground a bit. So, yeah, and, and it's on a sliding scale. So if someone came to us, they don't have any academic background, um, but they have incredible observation skills and that willingness to learn and have been working on landscapes, then 
yeah, they're, they're probably likely to get in. And of all these skills that we've been talking about, are there ones that you just don't even try and teach? Either someone has it or they don't, and it's not something that you figured out how to convey to someone who may be missing it. Yeah, I think that piece very much comes down to that mindset again. Um, you know, it's our philosophy that guides our principles which guide your practices, you know? So if you have a philosophy that, and, and I see this a lot actually even in regenerative agriculture and we're seeing it with a lot of, <clears throat> sorry, we're seeing it with a lot of regenerative um, companies that are coming into this space and they're like, we've got these products and, you know, we're doing this and we're doing that, but they haven't changed their philosophy. Their deep philosophy is it becomes abhorrent to even do some of the practices that we do. It becomes abhorrent to treat animals in a certain way um, because you feel so connected to that landscape, to those animals, to those people. So that equity, justice, all of this comes into play. Um, and that's that's driven by that bigger philosophy. So the, if the philosophy is still command and control and woohoo, I'm going to make big bucks out of this stuff, this is probably not the program for you. Right now, we've gone over just how broad of a knowledge base and set of experiences that are needed to excel at this at the, the level that you would expect for someone to join your team. And it's a rare person who has an academic background, a farming background, the personal communication skills, has done personal work themselves. So this is quite a selective process. However, there are people who can specialize in certain aspects and perhaps not be quite as large a generalist, but be effective in certain aspects of what they're able to convey as far as knowledge or guidance along the business building or land management process. Is it really essential for people to be this well-versed or can you be very effective if let's say you just know like the back of your hand, soil science alone, or work very well with grazing systems or finances, you know what I mean? And specialize yep. and do those well. Totally. And, you know, some of the people on this existing program are some of the best graziers in the world and don't have any academic background, brilliant observers and are very coachable. You know, they're, they're, willing, they're able to have those hard conversations about themselves um, and, and have that willingness. <clears throat> So I feel like that's what I'm saying. It's very much on a sliding scale. It says people come to us, we go, oh, you are incredible. You have all the spirit and the generosity and the creativity. And here's some other training to go and maybe look at. So we've been sending people to Elaine Ingham's courses or um, John Kemp's courses or go and do the Landmark Forum, which is just one of the best you know, personal and professional development programs, go and do some of those and then come back to us because you have everything else in place. Um, yeah, and we found, you know, it's intensive. This is the level of a master, at, if not a PhD, uh, that we cram into four months. And it's a big ask if you, if, yeah, some of those foundations are a little wobbly. And from a farmer's perspective, now I'm personally very new into consulting at a farm scale. I've done ecological restoration work and I started kind of in natural building and permaculture design and only for a couple of years now have I actually been working directly with producers um, but there seems to me to be a general mistrust or a sour taste from previous experiences from other consultants that I have to get over before I can even start to be effective in a coaching relationship 
And I don't know if you found this much or if you've gotten to a point in your professional role and your reputation that people just kind of come to you specifically for what you offer. Um, but how have you navigated these expectations from farmers about what a coaching relationship might be and set a different precedent in order to be able to kind of break through those preconceived notions and work with them on that personal level that you strive for? Mm. Well, I think, again, this comes down to the, the personal journey. You know, if some people might enter into this relationship wanting a more formal consulting kind of space and we can do that but it's going to change <laughs> and uh i haven't found that and maybe it is out there and someone's not saying but i haven't found that to not create some kind of behavioral changes you know so i have done a lot of training in that behavior change space it's what i find the most fascinating and so <clears throat> i'm not going to go somewhere if you don't want to go there there's no, oh, well, we have to go and work on this piece. It's what is an individual's goals? What's going to make them feel like they are successful? Um, and I, I, I probably in a position where I can choose or I was choosing those clients more selectively. Like there's certain organizations I won't work with. I'm not going to work with corporations that manage 21 different properties where there's an entire process that you got to work through the actually not working with the individuals um you might find the manager buys in but the the ceos don't or vice versa and so I, i'm more selective about there's certain types of organizations i'm not going to work with um and you know i'm very privileged to be able to choose i guess who, who i get to work with but in those early phases um if someone's expecting me to tell them what to do they're going to be in for a little bit of a shock because that's, you know, we're not selling product. We've never sold product. I've never taken any, you know, kickbacks. It's um, what is it that's going to make the biggest difference for you here? And what do you really care about? And what's fascinating is you start to dig into what people really care about. Um, the outcomes can shift. You know, I've had people say, you know, this is my main goal. And you spend a little bit of time with them and you go, no, it's not. You know, I've had one that he wanted to be profitable and I'm looking at everything that he did. And I'm like, everything that you do on this property is not profitable. Do you actually want to be profitable? And he was like, no, I have, you know, he was a construction guy. He didn't care. Um, or I had another guy who's like, you know, people say things. He's like, you know, I'm really doing this for the family. That man spent every moment of his life to make sure he didn't have to spend time with the family. So I'm like, are you saying that's actually what you want? Is that truly what you want? Um, yeah, and I think just to be a sounding board for that, it can be really confronting um, and it's not always pretty, but the changes can be truly remarkable. And that's kind of what I'm committed to. I don't care if you like me or not. I'm not here to be, you know, liked, although it's quite nice that my clients do like me and we form really great relationships, but we might have some pretty straight conversations that are going to be uncomfortable. Um, yeah, and I think I'm kind of straight about that when I meet people. Like, if, you, if you're not interested in a full structural overhaul and looking at a lot of this stuff, don't, don't, don't come to me. There's other people who will tell you what to do. I'm really glad you brought that up because I was actually struggling for a way to find into that part of the conversation or ask a question around it, is that if you're this involved with somebody's transformational process and 
I can't imagine, I've never met a grower or a farmer who's not intimately connected on emotional level of the outcome of their farm business and the health of their land. So you're dealing with really personal stuff here. There's no way that you're not going to have these confrontational moments and be present for some difficult conversations and growth moments in this journey. How have you managed to navigate those with, I assume, people with very different personalities, backgrounds, traumas, you know, all those things that you've mentioned? Yeah, and sometimes, you know, I can feel really uncomfortable. I have at times felt kind of ill or not slept very well. And what I've discovered probably 99.9% of the time, what happened, what was said was perfect. And I've just got to be okay sometimes with that discomfort. Um, I had a client once that he said to me, every time I talk to you, I get a headache. I was like, oh, great, thanks. Um, And then he said, well, you know, I'm too old to learn this. And I said to him, well, you're my age, buddy. So no, you're not too old to learn this. I said, what is, what's happening for you? What, what are times when you do have headaches? When do you feel overwhelmed? What came out after probably I stayed with him for a couple of days is on the second day, he said, I drink too much. And he hadn't said that to anybody and he hadn't, he wasn't spending time with the family. He was really overwhelmed by debt. He was really overwhelmed by feeling like he wasn't good enough compared to other people in his area. So we worked out a a strategy and a plan of things that were pretty simple. So I, I call it the methadone program. What are some of the simple steps that you could take that starts to shift someone from feeling totally overwhelmed and disempowered because it's, if you talk to most cropping guys, that's the situation that they're in right now. Um, and then just find these, these little bright spots, these, these things that mean you're not having to overhaul the whole system. You don't have to change your equipment. You don't have to bring in livestock. You, know, you don't have to do all of these things that <clears throat> is the dogma. <clears throat> Sorry, I didn't want to go to frog. <clears throat> um, what you, what we're looking for is what is just something that's going to get you out of bed today you know and that's the basic place that we're in you know I'm not a I'm not a psychotherapist you know and I'm um we don't need to be in that role it's just that starting to reflect this so people see it for themselves and when he said I think I drink too much I didn't say anything I didn't have to say anything and from what I've heard that was two and a half three years ago he hasn't drunk since that day And it wasn't because I said to him, oh, you've got a drinking problem. He confronted the fact that he'd been hiding from his family and using alcohol as a way to do that. And the alcohol was what was giving him headaches. It wasn't me. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's it's an honor to be able to be present to some of those conversations. And it's all because I analyze myself all the time, obviously, too, if I'm analyzing people around me, it's that being able to create that clear space of non-judgment. You know, I spend a lot of time or I have living in people's houses um, and I might spend a week or two with people. I do that because the veils come down. They can't pretend to be nice for two weeks. They can't pretend to, you know, talk nicely to their kids. At some point, they're going to tell their kids to shut up. You know, like (laughs) that stuff starts to come out. The patterns start to come out. Um, and it's really been that privilege of being able to stay with people and get to know people more deeply that they feel like it's safe to say some of these things. And we've spent a lot of time now talking about these internal problems, these struggles that 
growers go through and pretty much everyone does, you know, but this is a perspective that we're taking here. But there are also a lot of external challenges which are really out of their control. And things are changing rapidly right now. I can think especially from the European context, how much the cost of fertilizers and fuel are starting to go up because of the, the Ukrainian conflict. And people are facing, you know, a couple of months ahead, potentially a huge collapse in the financial projections of their business models for this year because of how much things have changed. And I struggle to tell them that there's something really that they can do in the short term that's going to change any of this or make it feasible. Do you have much experience with confronting these externalities that are really out of your control and still being able to offer some glimmer of hope? Oh, I, I personally think this is the best thing that's ever happened to agriculture. I just think this is phenomenal because out of things like this comes innovation. You know, you think in 1991, New Zealand removed all farming subsidies and what came out of that was incredible innovation. New Zealanders, when you deal with a lot of New Zealand farmers, they're business people. They can't afford not to be. Um, so many of our systems are artificially propped up. They're propped up by subsidies or they're propped up by the, the unrealistic cost of fossil fuels. We're still not paying what fossil fuels are really worth. Um, and so, okay, here's the issue. We have a, you know, we have a major challenge with the cost of nitrogen fertilizer, cool, right? How do we reduce nitrogen fertilizer by 30 to 70% with no changes in yield? We do that by stimulating microbiology and putting some kind of carbon source in with it, win-win. So I have no concerns about this, except for the fact that there's people out there that don't have the support and that soundboard to bounce around what are the other options? Because there are so many many options you know I've been on operations where we have reduced inputs by 70% in that first year through that approach of addressing what were our major limiting factors um, so if air if you currently have compaction problems that's your number one limit to production it's not nitrogen and very rarely have we found it's ever been nitrogen um, it's not phosphorus phosphorus is mediated by microbiology it's not potassium potassium is all about having green growing plants covering that ground and releasing, you know, potassium in a plant available form. All of it comes down to microbial activity. All of it comes down to soil structure. But people don't know that right now. So, you know, right now it's incredibly terrifying and confronting. And I think a lot of people are going to go under. And that's because we don't have these well-trained extension services people out there. So that's why I'm feeling that urgency. We need to get more and more coaches and consultants and educators out to support this while we go through the, the threshold. I mean, we, we are living in one of the most exciting times in terms of paradigm shifts. That's what's happening. It's very uncomfortable. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of chaos. There always has been. Like, this is not a new thing. But now we're starting to confront how do we deal with this and how are we better equipped to be able to deal with this? And it comes from having creative, adaptive thinkers. How do we train and support producers and being able to be creative and adaptive instead of lose their minds, uh, kill themselves in worst case scenarios um, and go into a whole lot of debt and just be supporting all the external agencies. What do you think it's going to take to get this level of support out there to the scale that it's going to need to be in the coming years? Because your program is still quite small and it's quite high level. 
there's a lot of people that are just not going to make the cut and you don't have the capacity to train the amount of people that is necessary. Where do we start with this, this ramping up of, of the necessary trainers? Well, the idea behind this program is that it works like a ripple effect because each of those people then goes on and is affecting their communities in a, in a wider and wider way. And then they potentially become the, yeah, it's like a pyramid scheme. They become the next ones <laughs> to then train the next tier of coaches. You know, my dream is that we can get this, you know, happening in Europe or we can get this happening in Australasia and South Africa. Um, and then this grows exponentially. Uh, but yeah, this is that higher level program. What I'm looking to develop and more online resources that we can have as the, the runway basically to lead people to create is, you know, let's do a 10 part series on microbiology. Let's do a 10 part series on carbon-based inputs, you know, things like that. So we're looking at doing that right now, but there are other organizations, you know, doing some brilliant courses. And I think the online stuff is how we can reach kind of more and more people and things like podcasts, you know, just getting in conversation. <clears throat> I mean, my my biggest learning and what's made the you know hugest difference to what I was doing was really farmer hubs and just getting together as communities and um, working through something. You know, even if people do like a book club reading of my book, just saying, or they get together and do an online course as, you know, 20 farmers and then go and look at what can we trial here? What, what can we try for ourselves? Because this isn't, this isn't a top-down approach. This isn't, oh, Integrity Soils and Nicole have this course and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's where the, the, the fountain of wisdom is coming from, because that's not true. It's, it's about how do we empower each other at a community level start to do some of this professional or personal development for ourselves um, and work through this as a community-driven initiative. I don't think this is going to come from some great big government subsidies. Do you see any hope of this type of a curriculum and this level of information being adopted by academia anytime soon? Because, I, you know, they seem to be catching up with this. And there are certainly some academics that are really pushing the uh, the soil sciences and other things that have been marginalized for a long time. They're finally starting to receive some of the attention necessary. But at the same time, it doesn't seem to be where the best information and the change on the farm level is coming from either. Where's that disconnect? No. That mindset shift hasn't happened. So it's still, it's still based in the current paradigm of academia. You know, and it's a conversation we had as a coaching team and with the students is how does education look different if you don't get an like if you don't get a grade how does it look different if we design this thinking about a course coming from ecological principles how do we do this as nature designed as opposed to the industrial model of we're going to churn you through this system and then you get this grade um, but it actually doesn't prepare you for the real world and we have some extension people on this current program and they're like, you know, we, we teach mindset, we teach, you know, all the soil health regenerative practices. And one of them said, what I realized was I'd never changed my own mindset. And so those people are, you know, driving this training, which is fantastic. And we're going to get practices out there, but practices are what we call the just change. It's just change. It's like growing a mustache and deciding you don't want a mustache anymore and you shave it off. That's a change. What we're talking about is transformative experiential learning, which is 
I was once a caterpillar and now I'm a butterfly. You never get to be the caterpillar again. I'm sorry. You can miss being the caterpillar, but that's it. You're done. So I think um, it's a totally different distinction than I'm going to teach you how to plant a cover crop and this is soil health and soil health is good. Uh, those courses are great. I'm not berating them, but unless we, we train that deep ecological principles and philosophy in this, people will... Uh, and this is what we're seeing with cover crops here, right? So currently, um, oh, I can't think how many million acres are in cover crops in the US. 41% of those are terminated with glyphosate already. And that's with the innovators, right? Now they're about to roll out an initiative for tens of millions of, or 10 million acres of cover crops. I wonder how much glyphosate is going to go on in that process, right? And it's because we're not addressing the underlying structures and if we just go through the existing structures nothing's really going to alter we're just going to get more of the same but in a different package you know every practice can be degenerative and every practice could be regenerative doesn't matter if that's cattle or cover crops or fertilizer yeah so that's the distinction and i think that's kind of what i'm excited about is how do i get hold of some of those people how do how do we do the training for some of these organizations and get into academia and have these conversations um because that's what needs to happen now from a business standpoint i assume that you're putting this type of mindset change and your ecological thinking hat on when you approach this from a business mindset uh, for running a consultancy. And I know that's one of the aspects of your course as well is teaching people how to run this as a proper business. And I personally have come up with this a lot and a lot of the other consultants that I've worked with at different levels struggle to charge for their services and to charge correctly and know how to enter into a business arrangement, especially with, let's say, Farmers are not the people who are best known for being willing to part with their money and for very good reasons. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a difficult conversation to start with even from the beginning. Let's start there. How do you approach that when you, when you enter into a new con consulting or coaching relationship? Uh, it's a really good point. And one, one part that we'll put to the side is we need to transform our own money conversation around our own self-worth. Um, focus on that, get that shifted. Um, but I think what, what I used to provide and I'd charge $500 for, I now charge $5,000 for, and it hasn't really altered a huge amount except my relationship with my self-worth. Like I've always over-delivered and undercharged. That didn't benefit anybody except I was really stressed and working really hard. Um, and then I'm not being regenerative in myself. And that's part of doing some of this, like I've done the centropic business training that was really cool, um, you know, based on Buckminster Fuller's trainings. Um, but thinking about business through a different veil, and it's not just financial, right? Um, because if that's putting a cost on my well-being, or I'm not sleeping, or I'm overworking, um, that also, you know, that's a non-renewable resource, that time. I can get money, but <laughs> can't get my time back. Um, but looking at uh, what are the other domains of that are not considered economic. And that might be, you know, spending time with the family. That might be going to the beach or um, it might be the, the value of networks and collaboration. You know, how do you put a money figure to that? And it's the same issue that we're talking about with ecosystem services. I mean, <clears throat> we shouldn't be, you know, putting monetary values on, on what is a life support system. And we shouldn't be doing that same thing in the business. So what does it look like to have 
a successful business and what are what are areas that I'm you know really strong in and what are areas that I'm just pushing the proverbial uphill when I should be outsourcing that someone else can do that kind of stuff you know and it wasn't until um, I brought in Michelle who's my PA and I brought her in six years ago that suddenly I could have a business because before then I was trying to do everything and to do with like financial my own financials my own accounting no we it's not humanly possible to do everything and I think that's often when we're starting up businesses we think that we need to do everything and actually we've just got to be able to find good people to collaborate with and that might even be on the social media side. Like lots of people hate social media. Blech. And I can relate to that. Yeah, collaborate with a group of people where some people love it. It's like, cool, can we do this as a network instead of thinking that we've got to do everything in separation um, and that business needs to be done um, in separation? You know, and I've always been self-employed. Um, I don't take orders very well from others. I never have. <laughs> My mum will relate to that. Um, and so... I can have an independent business, but that still works as a collaboration. You know, I'm still tied into multiple organizations that, or people that I love and value. Um, yeah. And I think that really plays into what you were talking earlier about building community through this. You know, it's not always just around the land and the things that we produce off of it. It's the professional services that go along with the support that helps the land managers because increasingly those businesses are extremely integrated. To be a successful farmer now is to be an entrepreneur, a mechanic. Uh, you know, I mean, the, there's so many different hats that you have to wear to run a successful farm business. And to be able to support others who do some of those things better than you, who like doing them more than you, uh, is, is not taking away personal power. It's expanding your capacity through collaboration. And to hear that applied to consulting or to any of these other professional services, not only is it, is it better for you and, and your independent work, but it offers a way from others who perhaps didn't see a direct way to put their talents and their training into service for this concept of regeneration. Everybody thinks they have to go and grow a garden or manage animals or you know, take care of a landscape, but there are so many support services that are needed in that equation as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this comes down to your context as well. So one of the things that's the foundation of the Centropic business planning is what is your evolutionary purpose? What gets you up in the morning? What's your why? You know, what really makes your heart sing? And does this particular action align with that? So me doing an accounting software package does not align with my purpose. Like it's, just, it's a distraction. And I, I meet producers that want to be like the Joel Salatins of the world. And, you know, what he's doing is extraordinary. He is extraordinary. But you're going to burn out most people if you if you're going to do as a single family you know mom pa and you're doing chickens pigs um turkeys cattle and you're direct marketing that and you're trying to manage that um and everything else that comes along with that you're going to burn out so which part of that is it that actually works for you why do you want to do all those different pieces and maybe you need to be an educational facility instead or um find another way to make that work if that's what really makes your heart sing is having 10 different enterprises cool uh you're probably going to struggle financially just saying and, and not saying that some people haven't been successful with it they are um those people often don't sleep i've noticed <laughs> well, they burn out and go in a very different direction after a set number of years 
Yeah, they go really quiet. I wonder why they went quiet. <laughs> but find your why, you know, and for a lot of people it is, you know, they just want to be deeply connected to nature and to, to, to animal husbandry. That's It's gorgeous. Or grow really, really top quality food. Cool. Um, just there's some choices to be made sometimes. And that's part of where a coach can be really great is you can just bounce all these different things around. And what would it be like if you didn't have that? Or what would it be like if you did have this? And what's that going to take? Um, and just getting, just having a reality check, I think is really important. And it's the same when we're consulting. What is the reality check? Um, I was very lucky in my first 10 years is that I got a really great contract, um, a worm farming contract that basically supported me with a full-time income and it was a part-time job and so I could go and spend most of my time researching I love research and so I'm just researching and researching and I I feel very very lucky that I got that opportunity and I I feel like more of us need those kind of opportunities or a, a there is a lot of angel investment there's a lot of internships out there right now you know take if I could if I could take some of those internships now that, I mean, it's too hard once you've got your business going, but there's some brilliant places to just go and learn from and immerse yourself and swim in it and, and figure out what is it that actually you really enjoy. Do you just want to grow mushrooms? Cool. Do that. Um, but yeah, I think that would be my advice if I could go back in time. <laughs> well, I really like your example of having that little side gig that enabled you to do some of the other things that you're even more passionate about. I've got well, I've done that a few times in the past, and I've got friends who are currently doing it. I know one actually who I just came to visit here in Portugal, and he's running a fermented food business with his partner so that he could take two years off and write the book all about Portuguese plants that he's always wanted to write, <laughs> you know? And there was never going to be any financial incentive in that, but he found a way to make it work, and, you know, he's living his best life because of it. Yeah. And we don't always do something because it's a financial return. Like, I didn't write the book that I wrote because I thought it would be a financial return. It has been, which been a huge surprise. And don't believe the hype that if you write a book, you're not going to make, like I, I could actually, yeah, make a living off just the book, which is amazing to me. Um, and wasn't what, what, what I thought it would do, but that took two years of just having to do a few gigs on the side so I could focus on doing that. And I think we have a, a society that, values things like being really busy or like self-sacrifice and like just all of these really negative I think um views when book writing for me was just an absolute pleasure like it wasn't stressful I stayed on different ranches had these beautiful views it was sublime and in lots of ways I missed that process I'm gonna do it again because it was just I'm just gonna check out of all of society and go and write and oh I highly recommend it it was so fun and sometimes you need those changes of practice or of time spent in order to make the next step in the evolution of your career, your personal journey, whatever it might be. Like, you know, we're not machines. We can't just continue down one path and hope that it's going to bring us everything that we might be able to grow into. We're never going to reach our full potential if we kind of limit ourselves in that way. Mm. Yeah. 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 And, so and be okay with that. I think sometimes we are going to work our asses off. Um, very few people get to where they get to without working pretty hard yeah. um yeah but like I still really value sleep I will never compromise on sleep it is a non-negotiable <laughs> so you know I'm not going to work through the night for anything and, and I think that's part of what 
keeps me really healthy is not not doing things like that like making sure that I am not compromising my health because I have all sorts of autoimmune issues so I don't mess with it but I think you shouldn't have to have an autoimmune to like kind of prioritize some of your non-negotiables around health yeah very well said I think all of us could use that advice a little more like you said with so much of the working culture uh, prioritizing or even incentivizing burnouts and overworking yourself and it becomes a part of the culture but as, as we established earlier on as well like time is the really only a non-renewable resource there and if that is not valued appropriately everything else is not going to mean as much because it isn't just time it's also quality of time right and how much quality of your time are you going to have if you don't have health and so much of that is connected with these basics that we take for granted and try and supplement our way out of the, <laughs> the essentials like sleep, you know, but uh, there's no, there's no substitute. Um, mm -mm. And in that valuation of time, I actually want to go back real quickly about entering into these relationships of coaching and consulting that perhaps are, are not what someone is expecting at the beginning, right? You were talking about how you start the conversation about what it means to charge adequately for your services and value your own time and make sure that that is respected throughout the journey. But you're also making a pitch that I would imagine most people are not super uh, accustomed to being approached with, which is a longer term journey, right? It takes a while to really see results out of management practice changes in an ecosystem. It takes a while to change your own mindset. And if they want to see results, they're not going to be able to get them from recipes like so many people are used to getting from, let's say, extension agents or conventional consulting. And how do you approach that conversation? How do you get people ready for entering into a journey with you? Yeah, and it, it, in a lot of ways, that is a huge barrier because industrial agriculture has set us up for this one, two, three, and the answer is 250 kilos. That's all you need to do. And the challenge with this is there is no one answer and we need to be able to work through that and, and find those creative solutions um often what i do with people people don't generally come to me unless they're interested in this you know so i'm not kind of finding i get a lot of those kind of conversations um and perhaps it happened in when I first started out and now I don't really remember. I've always been a very, very reluctant consultant. It's been the last thing that I wanted to do. My core, the core of this business has always been education. So I've run workshops to, since 2003, you know, and if you're looking for a way to let people know what you're up to, a workshop, you know, is, is the way to go. And, you know, sharing case studies, um, sharing examples, sharing, and, and, and through that veil of behavioral change, you know, so what, what are some of the stepping stones? How do we break it down? How do we, what we call script those critical moves um, to make it more accessible for producers? So my, my goal is not that I'm going to get hired by these people, but that they're going to go out and take some new actions and see some results for themselves. And then if they were to circle back around, and sometimes it might take a couple of years of thinking and working through stuff that they might then give me a call and they're then ready. Um, yeah, so I think it's it's a slightly different context than being a consultant or a coach and you're doing that cold turkey. Like that is really hard. And especially because I was really clear from early on, I was never going to take money from a company. I was, uh, you know, uh, companies have paid me to do workshops, but I've never, I've never taken any 
um, kickbacks. And so that makes that a big financial stretch. But there's such a need for education right now that I think um, if, if you did want to become a coach or a consultant, getting trained in some basic adult education, um, public speaking, um, all of, or facilitation, all of those kind of base foundational courses um, and start teaching because the world needs it. People need to hear what you have to share and um, that might develop coaching or consultancy for you. Uh, I think, yeah, if we're coming in cold turkey, then really you need to be working for an established consultancy company. Um, otherwise, it's going to be a lot of hard work. Like my heart would go out to you. That's that's a challenge. That's really interesting to hear because that's been my approach as well. I got into it to do the workshops and to translate this information into a more digestible form and kind of condense it so that people could go off and take action with it, which is also the motivation behind the podcast. And consulting and designing sort of came as a result of people wanting to go further than what they could learn in a week-long course, right? And so with that approach of really putting the emphasis on education, uh, whether that's individually with people or to a group, how do you approach that? How do you structure your your workshops and make sure that it's not overwhelming, it's digestible, but it's also enough of a change in perspective that they don't just use it as a recipe, which everyone is kind of tending towards anyway? Yeah, and that's okay. You know, if they use it as a recipe and it gets them starting, cool that's awesome there's nothing wrong with that um but yeah thinking in workshops i don't spend too long focusing on what's not working like things like climate crisis or biodiversity collapse and oh my god i'm again and none of that's very empowering uh it doesn't make a difference in terms of people's behaviors in fact it does the opposite people often just hunker down and go well the world's screwed anyway so let's just floor it <laughs> this <laughs> is we're just going to go out with a bang um it, or people become kind of attached to reactionary approach and that might be becoming a vegan sorry vegans but um you know if we've got to be looking at in terms of how can we be proactive about these measures that we're taking and so my programs are very much focused on the proactiveness all right we can all watch the media um, we can all feel like the world's coming to an end. And that's cool. You know, get some survival skills if that's what rings your bells. Um, but during my, my programs, it's very much about what are the things that we can currently do? What is the cost of where we're currently going? And what is probably almost inevitable outcome if we don't shift our practices, just even just from the practice side of things, right? What are we currently seeing? What are the soil losses? One of the most powerful things I can do, I find in a class is to do that slaking test, which is look at how much soil you're losing. So get people to bring their own soils in. I've had microscopes that have hooked up to a computer and people can see their own soil alive. And suddenly what's just this, you know, concept like fairy dust and unicorn horns becomes, holy, that's my soil. That's my nematode. That, that soil is alive. Um, so I'm always looking for games, keeping people slightly uncomfortable. Like maybe I'm a masochist. No, it's a sadist. I'm a sadist because I like just keep people slightly off their normal comfort because that's where the learning is. Um, you know, and confronting some of these things that are hard to do, that is where the learning is. You know, and I came from a very conventional sheep and beef community um, and it was hard, right? I'm a female 
consultant at the time. So can't say I did a lot of work in my local area, <laughs> but I'm used to working with some of those crotchety, grumpy old white guys and they don't scare me. And inside of them mostly is just this big squishy teddy bear. So um, finding ways to make it safe. Like I've done this thing, it's called the worm dance. It's hilarious. So you get people, like a group of six people shoulder to shoulder with their big gum boots and we stamp the ground. And then I have on my phone like this song that sounds like an Egyptian snake charmer and we play the song and these guys stamp their boots. You want to watch a bunch of grown men get down on the ground and squeal like little girls as they watch these worms come out of the ground. Like worms <laughs> will eject straight up. It's so cool. And so <laughs> there's a... A playfulness that I that I enjoy that I bring to classes that I think um, there's an aspect of society you're not allowed to be playful anymore. You're not allowed to have fun. You're not allowed to use coloring and pencils and um, squeal. You know, like <laughs> and for some of these, like <laughs> I think some of the communities I've gone into and made them made them do like these really fun things that. Um, They've possibly never had an experience like that before and it sticks with them and I hear years later people are like you know I remember that and then we did this and this and this that wouldn't have been possible I don't think without injecting the humor and the fun and you know we're here for such a short time it's stopping so blimmin significant <laughs> that's a good way of putting it and it sort of fills in one of the gaps that I've struggled with a lot and seen others in this line of work do as well when it comes to advertising and get them the word out about what it is that you can offer, the skills that you can bring, and the solutions that you can help someone to achieve, teaching is one of the most uh, effective and integrity-based ways of getting the word out there because everything else often seems really ingenuine, right? Pumping out messages mm -hmm. on social media or putting money into just becoming more visible. I know everybody... <laughs> that, I, that I've worked with closely, just cringe at the thought of that. And don't get me wrong, there are integrity ways of using those tools as well. But by starting off with those connections, giving people an, an entrance or a window into this world of learning and a new mindset is mm -hmm. a great way to build the type of connections that later can become consulting, you know, agreements or, you know, however you structure it. Uh, how have you found that and and have you ever struggled or tried, I guess, other ways of getting the word out? Yeah, it's such a good point. Um, two things. So the first class I ever ran was in 2003 and I used to be terrified of talking in front of people. I just want to say that that was a really big deal for me to overcome. And I, I, I think what enabled me to overcome that was getting connected with my purpose, like just being really clear that this was information that needed to get out. And my concern at the time was the amount, I was working in avocados, um, was the amount of phytophthora disease, the chemicals that avocado producers were using. And so I taught mycorrhizae and carbon. That's the first class I ever done. Um, I didn't know a huge amount about mycorrhizae and carbon, but I knew more than what the avocado growers that I was you know, surrounded by new. So I didn't have to be, hey, I'm the huge expert in this. It was more, this is really interesting. This is something that I've come across. I think it would be of real value and save you guys a whole lot of money. Um, and I was, uh, I was gonna, felt like I was gonna vomit for the whole time. But I think if you feel disingenuous or a, a lack of integrity, or you're feeling ill around um, marketing side of things, 
don't do that because people that watch or listen or read that or see some of the, I mean, some of the reels on Instagram, stop it. Stop with the dancing dog and the voiceovers. Um, that's not who you are. You know, and it just comes across as weird. Just stop it. You know, share your own voice. Um, you know, there are some funny things out there for sure, but just get back to who are you and, and, you know, what is it that's unique about what you have to offer? Um, you know, and I, I'm not very good on social media. Like I love talking, I love doing workshops, but there's something about like being, I don't know, I, it's not my thing. Um, yeah. And I've, we've never really spent a lot on advertising. We self-published. I self-published that book and really it was just the mycelial networks. So trust in that process. If you are in flow and you're, you are working through that works progress process, that is what the world needs right now. Success is coming if you're coming from an authentic space. If you are coming at this because it is the next best ticket, you're not going to be successful. I'm sorry. You're going to fall on your face somewhere down the line. Um, yeah, this is not the next big thing. I'm going to be an entrepreneur and work in Silicon Valley and work once and retire, you know, like not. <laughs> so, yeah, find, find your groove. And for some people, it might be dancing with your dog on Instagram. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, I want to switch gears one more time here and start to look at this equation from the perspective of a grower or a farmer who is looking for support as they're entering into a new phase and trying to change the trajectory of the health of their land and their businesses. And like we talked about earlier, um, a lot of them have become soured on relationships with consultants because of past experience and the lack of results. But there are ways that I've found that they can evaluate the efficacy and the competence of the people that are offering services in their area. What would you mm -hmm. say are some of the things that you would look for as you know, absolutely essential or red flags that you shouldn't enter into that agreement when looking at it from the other side of the equation? Well, I'd be interested to hear what, what the things are for you. Um, for me, they, I want to go and talk to the people that they're working with, right? So if you're, if you're looking at engaging a consultant, then ask them, you know, who are some people in my local area? Is there someone I can go and talk to? make sure that they're not that they don't have commercial interests with each other this is what I find a lot um is that actually that client might actually be a shareholder in their company so you should need to ask that um yeah and just and and I don't know get in conversation and just see is this is this someone who's going to expand you or is this someone who's just got the answer yeah but what what do you what do you feel so First of all, I always recommend to people that they get very clear about what they're going to a consultant for. Mm -hmm. um, I think getting that clear for yourself as to like, what are the results that you want from coaching or from advice is really important because it's going to determine whether you're going into a long-term relationship where you want just some of them to solve a problem for you. Um, and also be very clear about the communication of where you're currently at, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've gone into some of these consultancies and I feel like I have struggled to charge for the initial consultations because we spend all of the time where the person is just unable to give me the information where I can even understand what the problem is. Mm -hmm. And so by getting clear on that, you can jump the, 
the steps forward. And then, you know, based mm. on what they're offering, if it's a consultancy for soil health to improve soil health and they come out to your land and they don't bring a shovel, that I would call a red flag. <laughs> yeah. Get back in your car. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've uh, actually, I've tailed some, uh, some consultancies with professionals from other places. Actually, I can think of one recently where there's a neighbor of mine who's a, an organic uh, hazelnut farmer. And mm-hmm. the region is kind of known for that. And, you know, I told him that I was starting to get into some of this. I don't really have experience with hazelnut farming. And he told me that he was bringing in a consultant and that if I was interested, I could come along with them. And that's when it kind of clicked with me because he would, they were talking about all this stuff, like the percentage of organic matter around in different fields and whether it's wet or not. He never once dug in the soil. No. And okay, I'm sure there was a lot of value that he was able to give in some other ways. But to me, that was like, that was, <laughs> you know, or is this just a conversation or are you actually trying to gather data from the space? And we spent a good, you know, two hours going all around the different fields. We did look at some of like the, they were having problems with a fungal disease that was ruining the flowers here in, the, in early spring. Um, but they were talking about, you know, what sort of chemical regimen you're on and whatnot. And to me, there was just there was a missing part in the diagnostics before making recommendations. But that is the old model, right? And that's the model that I, I really it's it's met its end, right? We can see what the consequences of their model is, which is that those consultants uh, are doing well financially and their producers are not. The yeah. waterways are under pressure and we've got clim- climactic variability because our lands are basically destroyed. <laughs> Um, but I think asking the question of or, or clarifying what results you want, sometimes I find people are not at the source of this or they're looking for something that might, might actually not be their true, what they really, really, really want. So right. part of that conversation, you know, and, and sometimes we say things and it's not necessarily our truth as well. And that's why there is like the coaching process does take a bit to kind of pull this out. You know, we have a questionnaire that we send out to people when we were consulting and we would follow that up in a call before we'd go out to a property. And I find you have to ask a question maybe three or four times before you actually get to what that that answer was. So it's being able to be patient um, because what comes up first might just be this is the reaction or this is what I need to say because I got to look good or, you know, I don't necessarily want people to know that the whole system's falling apart. Um, yeah, but I, I think it, yeah. And if you've got someone that is a soil consultant, they are going to have a shovel. That would be a no brainer. I would have thought. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that might be an indicator of whether this person is going to start you on the journey that you're looking to get into, or if they just make you comfortable with what you're used to. Yeah. Yeah. You want to feel a little pushed. If you just got affirmation that you're doing a really good job. And I have seen that with some of the big fancy pants consultants that are around they're just patting their clients on the back oh you're doing such a great job no no that's that's if you want that that's cool I wouldn't be paying big bucks for that you know (laughs) like that's great that they make you feel good and and then I feel really bad because they kind of come along and burst their bubbles and go seriously you've been working with this guy for 30 years and this is the outcome you know my goal is that you're not going to need us like that's kind of how we come at this that this is a process where within two or three years you're not going to you're not going to require our services because we've you know deepened that 
ability to observe for yourself and ask those questions for yourself so that you're not looking for an external source you know and we're always learning so I feel like we're always offering something different if people want to kind of stay on the journey with us but um it's our ability to observe and to see and ask questions keep asking those why questions you know yeah see that was the last one I was going to mention of like the criteria I would tell a farmer to go into is if the other person has an exit strategy because otherwise mm -hmm. they may just be you know throwing the hook out there to get you on an infinite pay loop you know um and if they're doing their job very well obviously there there are some exceptions to this there are certain journeys where you're going to need assistance along the way let's say they're a financial manager uh, and you have no ambition of, of being your own financial manager right um, but if you're really working with someone who has a priority on setting a new mindset potentially they're getting you on a track where you are no longer dependent on regular assistance and maybe they check in once in a while and so yeah that's another one that i found and then that was definitely the case of uh, back when i was working in natural building and stuff too because if they're coming back and constantly having to fix things, well, hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, totally. Okay. Well then, so as we kind of start to wrap this up, what advice would you give people who are passionate about regenerative agriculture? Like you said, you know, it's a bit of a fad right now, but there are a lot of people who have a genuine interest in seeing our food systems change and for land managers to assist them on a journey to get the ecosystem processes back on track and moving in a different trajectory who are genuine about seeing this through in the long run what are some of the steps the skills the places to start to to get you on this journey as well where would you start for me going and doing some of that personal development work get that out of the way because it's going to make it so much clearer about what is actually your priority you know, if something is a fad, you're going to see that and then you'll be like, oh, I'm not going to stick with that. But actually, I want to restore ecosystem services. Go and do internships. Go and stay with people. Um, I certainly have valued, I think, every single piece of education that I've ever done, you know, from ecology to soil science to microbiology to education, organizational learning. So it's really um, where do you what would be your dream? You know, is it? if you want to get into education or facilitation um two very different roles but take a look at that if you're wanting to be the producer that makes the most extraordinary food in the world go and find those people and, and stay with them and and learn from people that are that are in it um yeah i think that's that's probably some of the best places to start this and, and just like the soil you know there's no one way to to do this but uh the the better that we are at observing and listening and learning um then the better we set up for anything so you might decide that you do want to be that software developer <laughs> in the silicon valley cool you now have different tools yeah yeah for sure and like you said the 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 personal work is often the most overlooked you know uh it's not necessarily what people associate with ecological work soil health and whatnot but it is a huge tool and a lot of assistance for anything you're doing in life, whether it's consultancy or like you said, if you decide after that process to go into an entirely different direction. And where can people reach out to you and learn more about the CREATE program for training consultants? So we have a number of courses on our website. So integritysoils.co.nz is the website. 
but we have some foundational soil courses, online courses, as well as Create. Um, and then there's a whole page on Create so you can get a sense of um, what does the program offer and what is some of the criteria. There are some people coming over from the UK for this one. It is Create. You need to be able to come to two of the classes in person. So you do need to get to the US. Um, but I feel like there is a little bit of urgency, perhaps, to get some Europeans over um, twice so that, yeah, potentially they could be coaches on the next one we do in Europe, which would be amazing. Do you have dates or thought for when that might be or where it might be? No, just waiting to see when COVID restrictions lift. I'm not traveling in a segregated world. So until that settles down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, please keep so, us yeah. posted. I'm sure there's a lot of people in our network who would jump at that. Yeah, that would be amazing. Thank you. And so you mentioned too that you're hoping to write a book again someday. So just before you go, what would that book be about? Is it on the horizon at all? It's on the horizon. Got a couple of chapters already kind of planned in my head. Um, more on these themes of of what the first book was, you know, what, what are successful producers doing and looking in, you know, some of the different industries. So vegetable production and dairy and, you know, I just, I'm very grateful for the life I get to live and the people I get to meet. I mean, there's some incredible, everyone has a story. So to be able to tell some people's stories through that lens of what is it that's bringing more vibrant life to these landscapes um and and to families and to communities um there's so much to share out there i feel of stories that haven't really been shared and you know you can read a book and it might be about i don't know squirrel farming or forestry or and it doesn't really matter what that sector is it, it's the pieces that resonate with ourselves I guess that that oh you know I can take a piece of that and a piece of that even though there might be there's probably going to be a lot of U.S. because I haven't left the country for two and a half years um but you know just what is working well in these contexts and how can I apply that to my particular situation yeah so hopefully a whole lot of food for inspiration oh that's super exciting please keep in touch as that moves forward I would love to see how this progresses yeah, yeah, me too. It's, pro it's probably a few years down the track, but yeah, all good things. Take Something time. to look forward to for sure. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Nicole. It was a real pleasure catching up with you again. I wish you all the best over there. No worries, Oliver. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, for the people that are looking to step into this space, just do it. You can't do anything worse than what's currently being done in the consultancy space and <laughs> in industrial agriculture. So just do it. Thanks once again to Nicole Masters. I'll be posting all of the links that she mentioned on the show notes for this episode on the website, where you can also find all the previous episodes from the last five seasons for free. Now, before we wrap this up, remember that you can now contact us at Climate Farmers directly to be matched with an expert in regenerative agriculture in order to assist you in your journey towards regenerative management of your land and farm business. Just click the link on the show notes for this episode on the website and you'll be connected with one of our representatives who will help you to evaluate your unique needs and your context in order to match you with a professional who will help you break through to the next level. You can also learn more about our work and our growing list of services for farmers in Europe at climatefarmers.org. And if you like this new thread focused on regenerative farming and the consultants who assist in the transition process, keep an eye out for these episodes, which will be coming out every second Wednesday. 
Now that's our show for this week. As always, don't forget to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future. And Climate Farmers and I will be right by your side along the way. Bye.